Leslie Dirksen here, and I'm one of the hosts of the Compel podcast. On our second episode, we have with us our dear friend, Linda Rosengren, a Bible translator with Ethnos Canada. She's going to share with us the importance of translating the Bible into a heart language and share a story of God's faithfulness in her life and ministry, even through tragedy and loss. So welcome to the Compel podcast, How Ordinary Women Spread the Gospel Story. exciting to have you here today, Linda, and um, I'm just excited to hear your story about the WANA language translation and um, how you translated the Bible into their language. So thanks I'm for coming. I'm excited to be here. Linda, it's been 40 years since you've moved into the WANA village, and that was back in 1979. Um, can you share how your family and team decided to go there? Well, we had heard about the WANA work when we were still in language study on a different island. And especially my husband was really drawn to the story and felt the Lord putting a burden on his heart for the Wana. And then when we moved to that island after language study, we kind of got diverted for a little while. We were doing uh, supply work and, and government work for the, the team that was already there working in the Laoje. And we... We worked for two years doing their supply, first in the capital city and then in a small coastal town, the halfway point. But during that time, we were about ready to move into that tribe. And then the Lord sent a little blessing and I was pregnant with our, with our fourth child. And just that derailed the plans to move up there. And by the time we were be ready to move again, the Lord had brought the opportunity for us to join the WANA team and move into there, which was right what Steve wanted to do in the first place. So that's how the Lord led us to move up into there. When we were in language study, we actually flew into the WANA village. I think, yeah, I think you knew that. Yeah. And when I mean flew, I mean like by Kodiak plane and then helicopter. Uh, you guys probably hiked or took canoe or? No, um, we flew in in the Super Cub. Okay. Which carried two passengers normally. Oh, wow. So, so uh, but our kids were really little mm -hmm. at the time. So we were living in Tinombo up north and our pilot picked up the children and I. And there were four of uh, five of us in the plane and took us in and then went back for Steve and a barrel of our stuff and our dog. Oh and the goodness. first thing the dog did when he got off the plane was bite somebody. <gasps> no so way. The oh, pilot way. said, I'll take him out to the hangar. He'll be a good guard dog. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, that was a beautiful, it was just beautiful flying into Wana, like just beautiful mountains and waterfalls. I was just blown away. It is gorgeous. Yeah. We went there for a Bible conference, um, the Wana Bible conference there. And I was just, again, just astonished by the hospitality of the Wana church. I was so encouraged by these believers who are just so loving and they were serving one another. And I was still language study, so I barely knew the national language, but they were just so nice to me. Yeah. Um, and later on, on a different island that we worked on um, with a different ethnic group, we actually had two national co-workers from, on our team that were from Wana, and I think that's really cool. So Wana, to me, when I think of the Wana church, I think it's a great example 
of what I desire to see as Ethos Canada, to see a mature church that is self-sustaining, has established elders. Um, they have the word of God translated now, which is so cool. And they're self-propagating. So they aren't just sending out evangelists to their own villages and their own people group, but they're sending out missionaries to yeah. other ethnic groups and working with other expats. I think it's just amazing. And that was our goal from day one, to yeah. work ourselves out of a job and let them start taking over as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and I realized blown away by what the Lord's done through them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I realized this, um, this church maturity didn't just happen overnight. They didn't just stumble upon it. Um, it, what came about by believers choosing to go in to live among them, like you guys with this goal to disciple them to maturity. It reminds me of um, Romans 10, 14 through 15. How then will they call on him and whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they, whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So that's what I'm just so encouraged by your guys' story. So Linda, can you tell me how you were involved in the Wana Church plant and what some of your roles were over the years? Well, the first way we were involved was just in language and culture acquisition. And it was both challenging and helpful to have four small children (laughs) because children are great bridge builders and you can hold a baby in your arms and get the names for all the body parts and without being awkward. And <laughs> the people there just loved our kids so much. And so language study, it was, uh, we were only there for two and a half months before we went on our first home mm-hmm. assignment. And then we moved back in there and we were there for a full term. So. We learned a little bit of language before we left for home assignment, but got plugged right into it when we got there. And besides that, over the years, while well, I had my kids to teach school for the first couple of grades and did some team teaching on that with one of my coworkers so that she could learn the language. And then she did it while I learned the language. That's I should really say cool. began to learn the language. We're still learning the language. And I also, over the years, have done things like uh, first aid for the, the uh, injuries and things because my husband can't stand the sight of blood. <laughs> so someone would come with a huge wound and he would yell, Linda! So we did that and taught some health classes to give them some basic health information and um uh, what else um i did some english back translation for our translator at the time and that's where you take what he has translated in the the tribal language and turn it back into english as it appears in the in the tribal language and so that the checkers who don't know the language knows how they translated it. So I did that. That was my first tiptoe into translating. And I just was fascinated by the whole progress. I'd had no training whatsoever. So that, but once I became the 
translator, then that was, that was my, my job. So you didn't always see yourself as being a Bible translator? No, no, (laughs) no, no. At the time we went through the training, if you didn't test to be a linguist, you did not get the translation Mm. training. So someone just shoved a book in my hand and said, read this and have at it. Ooh, man. So now how long have you been translating for since you started then? How long do you think that's been? Since 1986. So what's uh, that? 33 years. 33 years. Well, 32. I finished last year. Yeah. Yeah. That is so exciting. So why is Bible translation important? Like, why don't you guys just use the national Bible translation? Where does it fit in the big picture of seeing this church coming to maturity? Well, for one thing, there are people, especially older people in the tribe who don't know the national language. They've never learned it. Hmm. And for another thing, uh, a national language, it would be like if... If I had learned Spanish, I could read the words, but they wouldn't speak to my heart the way that English speaks to my heart because it's my my heart language. Yeah, and it's the same with these uh, groups of people that their heart language, uh, the Wana people's heart language, is Bahasata, and if they hear it in their own heart language, it just means so much more. And they have expressed that, mm. that it means so much to them to have it in their own language. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, you guys moved back to Canada back in 2001, is that right? Yes. Well, what, um, that was, you guys were evacuated from your island due to religious unrest, but yeah, you guys continue to do translation from afar why did you guys decide to do that? And how, like, what did that look like? Well, we just wanted, we had a burden to get the God's word to them into their hands. And it, the Lord just made it possible. That's about the time that email was becoming a more of a thing. And, uh, we were able to communicate with a couple of our families that located in the city and had Wi-Fi. And so I was able to check things that way with them. And the Lord just put everything in place for us to be able to just continue on with the translation, even though it took a lot longer that way. And then when I would have enough prepared to go and have a check, then we would go back to Indonesia and, and meet together with a few of the Wana people and with the consultant and get our checks done that way. Hmm. How long have you guys been in Asia Pacific for? Like since you guys that foot for language city? 1975. 1975. Okay. Wow. So you've lived there 25 plus 19. I'm really bad at math. What is that like? So am I. That's why I didn't give you a number. Uh, older than me. <laughs> so you guys have been living in another culture as well as in the remote jungles of Asia Pacific for quite some time. I'll just say that. Um, what have been some challenging or difficult situations or experiences you have gone through because of your choice to be involved in overseas church planning? I think separation from family is a big one. Um, not only our family back home, but also our children, because at that time you were 
very much encouraged to send your children to the boarding schools. So we did that and the Lord gave them good experiences, which we were very thankful for. But that's, you know, it's always a challenge. You turn around and go back to your empty house after putting them on the airplane. And we decided after a while we weren't going to do that. Mm. We and our co-workers would go out to town with them and then take them to school and then get on our bikes and go on a long bike ride, you know, afterwards <laughs> together and just or if we were in the tribe, we would get together that evening for games or something just to help each other over that initial mm-hmm. shock. But that was one hard thing. Uh, yeah, and just illness. We had a lot of illness, uh, malaria and mm. other things. What about with kids? Like having, you mentioned homeschooling kids. Was that yes. hard? Oh, I hated homeschooling. Oh. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I'm not cut out to be a teacher. Oh. So it was it was a struggle for me to do that. Yeah. Not everybody's cut out to to do that. And but the Lord gives grace one day at a time. So looking back to see I mean planning a church takes time. It's not something that we just go down and do during a day cuz learning the national language takes time and then you learn the the people groups language. And then you, you work to see them come to mature faith. So that involves discipleship and translating. This is a long haul. What has kept you, what has drived you can, to continue this ministry and come back to Canada and still still be involved in Bible translation, even when, yeah, you should be retiring maybe a few years ago, but you haven't done that. What is driving you to do this? Stubbornness. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, just knowing the importance and having the the one of people themselves express how much it means to them to have God's word in their language. Um, and plus, being a perfectionist, I hate leaving things undone. Um, we just wanted to finish well and do everything the Lord had put on our on our plate to do. And giving up just didn't seem to be an option. I I just wanted that in their hands and to be able to know that they had the tools to be able to, as a team, this was, this was our passion as a whole team and it does take teamwork and I'm glad I have a chance to express that Yeah, because our team has been amazing through all these years. And just the the mutual respect and uh, confidence we have in each other to do each do what the Lord has given us to do and to be there for each other. And without the team, it would have been very hard to finish. I've gone back a few times um, just for translation checks. And we had the last one a year and a half ago almost two years ago now. And yeah, I love working with the, the one language helpers and the consultants and our coworkers. And yes. Uh, and we would love to go back again because we told, told them when we left last time that if the Lord made a way, we would be back to visit. And my little 
helper girl said as we were walking to the helicopter she says I feel like you're saying that but it's not going to happen and I told her it will happen if if the Lord gives the opportunity we want to come back and see you so Steve thought about going this fall for the Old Testament dedication but my mom is not well right now and we just we just don't know it's still all up in the air were there times that you feel like I just can't do this anymore like with a with translating a bible to like, this is just I'm done or mm-hmm. yeah okay oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah more times than I can remember I than I can count is because there's sometimes I would be, be beating my head on the wall trying to how can this be translated into this language there is no way and the Lord would remind me that he would not create a language into which his word could not be translated Mm -hmm. and sometimes I just had to put it all away for the day and go to bed and in the middle of the night he'd wake me up with an idea and I'd have to get up and write it down but yeah He's faithful. That's that's all there is to it. We were living before we moved into the tribe in a small coastal in a small coastal town. There were no other expats for a while, and my husband was doing survey trips. We lived in a small thatch house across from the the bay. It was a beautiful house. We loved it and I mean, it was very rustic, but there was no electricity, there wasn't a phone, there wasn't even a radio, there was no contact with the outside world. And I had four small children under six. And my husband would go for a week or two for survey trips. And at first it was it was fine, it was what we were there for. But after a couple of these trips, he'd come home and then and he'd announce that he was going to go again, and I, my, I just my heart would rebel. Like, oh my goodness, not again! And I'd have a little wine and not not drinking, but <laughs> I I would I'd be whining in my heart to God and whining to my husband, and and then the Lord would just say, "Okay, uh, this is what I want you to do. This is your part." So then I you know, gather my senses together and, and he would be faithful every day until Steve got back. Of course, as soon as the motorcycle lights disappeared down the road, the kerosene lantern, the mantle would break. The kerosene fridge would start to smoke. And two times when he was gone, a big storm came in off of the bay and blew at our house and blew the one part of the thatching straight up way mm. upwards so the rain dumped in right on our bed that never happened when he was home <laughs> oh my goodness, so the course. second time it happened i was out there the next morning and i tied something to a rope threw it over the house and tied it down on both sides so it could never happen again and I, that rope might still be there i don't know so back when my family, where Mark and I went to the Wana Bible Conference, um, I remember some elders sharing how the Wana Church was born and how their acceptance to the gospel message came in response to a horrible tragedy that took place in your family. 
I don't think I've ever heard you share this story from your perspective. Would you be willing to share that story today, Linda? Sure. Yes. Yeah. In 1981, we had come back from our um, home leave that year. And in September of that year, our little boy, Kevin, our youngest, he was almost three. He got um, just kind of, we thought it was laryngitis. Mm. And our co-worker's daughter, who was the same age as him, got it the day after he did. And he was, he was mildly sick for a couple of days. And then by the third, by the Tuesday, he he was up playing with his Legos. But that night, he just started, his lungs started to fill up. Mm. And we called the airplane in the morning, and it was, of course, socked in with clouds. Mm. But the Lord opened a small hole just in time for the plane to come in, land, pick up Steve and I and Kevin and get us on the way out to town. And there was an ambulance waiting at the airport for him, for us. But on the way to the hospital, they they laid him down to give him oxygen, and we'd been holding him up all night so he could breathe. And as soon as they laid him down, he just went to be with the Lord. Mm. And, uh, yeah, that... Yeah, I can't imagine what that time yeah. was like for you guys. <laughs> we prayed at the time that the Lord would, we just thanked him for the years that yeah. he gave Kevin to us and yeah. asked him to use it mm. to bring many Wana people to himself. Mm. And boy, he did. Yeah. He did. Two months later, we had our first believer. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I yeah. think that's an incredible testimony of how God redeemed that tragedy of losing a child and just using it to bring glory to his name. Like that is so hopeful. Yeah. It's the parable of the planted seed. You know, it, that little seed was planted and a huge harvest Mm -hmm. has resulted and we have no regrets. Yeah. We know we'll see him again. Mm -hmm. And so will a lot of Wana people that maybe wouldn't have. So no. what brought about that change in their thinking? What, how did that specifically, like Kevin, the life, how did that change your thinking and make them more acceptable to the gospel? Well, when we flew back in after, after burying Kevin in town, um, they asked us, uh, what do we need to do? Do we need to make a funeral feast for him? And are you going to go home? Because that's what they would have done. And we said, no, the Lord sent us here with a message and it's too important for us to go home. And after that, they started listening. Mm, Before that, Steve would try to teach them and they'd be falling asleep and, you know, tuning out. But the Lord used that to really grip their hearts and prepare their hearts. Wow, that's amazing. I think my natural reaction to when I hear situations like yours is why, why, why God would you allow this to happen, especially to this missionary couple who are trying so hard to do what you have commanded them to do. Have you wrestled with this question or how would you respond to someone who is asking that same question? We have had people um, just 
a couple of years ago, one of our Wana missionary families who work in another tribe lost a little girl. And especially the father struggled with that. And so our coworker, Ed Castile, uh, set up a Skype session for all six of us to just be able to share with them and for them to share their thoughts and their hearts. And uh, we just were able to remind them of Kevin's story and how it was his father who was the first believer. Wow. And how the Lord used that. And like, if, if the Lord came to us at the time and asked, can I take this child and raise him myself? Mm -hmm we would say, of course. And that's pretty much what happened, you know. It's, it's not any different. And I told them, the Lord gave me an analogy at the time that if you're holding something in your hand and it's precious to you and you don't want to let go of it and somebody needs to take it from you, it's going to hurt a lot more if they have to pry your fingers open rather than if you hold your hand out with it loosely in your hand. And so I shared that with Jesse and Ellie as well. And it was it was it was an encouraging time for all of us to see how they responded and how they've moved on and allowed the Lord to teach them and give them a ministry. They now understand what it's like and are able to have a ministry with others that go through similar situations. And that's what the Lord says in his word, that he gives grace so that we are able to help others in the same way we've been comforted. Mm, yeah. So what are, I love that truth. I think it's such something just to hold on to during these times. What are some other biblical truths or scripture that you have clung to during these difficult times? Or what have you learned about God's character throughout your life and ministry here? Oh, he is always faithful. He always does what he says he's going to do. Uh, he doesn't waste pain. Mm. Uh, when he brings something painful into your life, you can, you can guarantee that he will make it beautiful because it says he makes all things beautiful in his time. Um, it hadn't always been easy to see these truths in the middle of a, of a storm. But underlying all of the pain and uh, frustrations and the more you learn to lean into him, the, the more you're ready to do it sooner next time. Okay, Linda, so I'm just listening to your story about Kevin, and um, I just want to know, like, how did you fly back into the Wana village on that plane, just knowing that you buried your son, and um, yeah, you had the Wana people to go back to you, you had um, Steve and the rest of the kids, and you, ha you knew that you were supposed to be there, but was there a part of you that just really didn't want to go back? Yes, because I knew that in the house there would be a lot of reminders. 
his toys, his clothes. Um, our co-workers had gone in and done a cursory cleanup, um, putting just putting things out of sight and and that which I was very grateful for. But we were still, you know, finding stuff and that that part of it was hard. But on the other hand, it was our home. And the the people were a comfort to us. And we we did have to leave our other son behind because he was his first first year in boarding school. And I think that was hard. That was hardest. The hardest thing was that he had to be left out there, and he hadn't been at school very long because it was the second of September. It was a like thirty, thirty-eight years ago yesterday that Kevin went home. Mm. So yeah, he hadn't been out the school very long, and and uh, we had to say goodbye to him too. But it's the same as the whole thing. Every day the Lord's faithfulness was there. People were praying. That's, that was the big thing that we knew had to be happening to give us the degree of peace that we, we had. You could feel the prayers. We of... could feel the prayers of mm-hmm. people back home and people there. So the Lord gave peace mm-hmm. and strength for that. And I can imagine that you learned um, things about God's character that you hadn't learned before. Right. Yeah. We had heard there were two families that lost a little one right before we went to Indonesia the first time. And I thought at the time, Lord, please don't ever ask that for me. I just thought I couldn't handle that. And then when it happened, I found out that True, I can't handle that, but God through me can. It's beautiful. He, yeah. he doesn't give us anything that He will not help us with. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. So many women wonder if it's worth considering leaving family and moving to a remote location in another culture. After living overseas and being in ministry for so long, how would you respond to the question, is Christ worth it? Oh, definitely. Absolutely. We would not change anything. There have been some very, very hard things, Mm. but we wouldn't change any of it because we see what he's done through it. And, you know, there's a thriving church and it was built on suffering and tears and a lot of joy along the way as well. The Lord teaches you new things. We absolutely loved living there. So it's not like we got up every morning hating where we were and hating the food, which is really awesome. Yeah, I remember their food. That was one thing. They are amazing cooks and this food is so delicious, but I didn't have enough words to get a recipe. But wow. Yeah. Anyway, it's just everything day by day it's like is it like here as well you go through hard things and the lord gets you through them and you're more prepared the next time something hard comes along 
So if you could speak to your younger missionary self now, what would you tell yourself? <laughs> Pack your sense of humor, honey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think what, what I would want to tell myself is to not try so hard to perform for God because we don't need to perform for God. We are saved by grace and we live for him by grace. And he wants us to just live in the reality of that and not be so worried about performing and doing. And I would really love to be able to go back and model that for my children. Because we we started out in an era where it was very works oriented and very performance oriented. And we kind of passed that along to our children because that was our truth at the time. That was what we were taught and we passed it along dutifully to our children. But since then, the Lord has taught us so much about his, his grace and I would just love to be able to go back and, and give them a firm foundation in that. They have since learned for themselves, but, and we can't second guess. We can't second guess. We were walking in the light that we had at the time, mm -hmm. but just, I would just love to be able to do it different if I could. Well, thanks so much, Linda, for sharing your story today and just sharing of God's faithfulness in your life. I think that's what I'm coming away with. And just seeing your obedience to Christ and your love for him is such a blessing to me. And yeah, this the Great Commission does seem like an impossible task and just overwhelming. But God is, has promised to be with us and give us the grace we need for every moment along the way. And I am mm -hmm. so thankful for that. Yeah, and one I day can, at a time. Yeah, yeah and I can one see that through time. your testimony. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. I hope it really helps others and lets them know that God will be there every step of the way. Mm -hmm. To learn more about Bible translation and how you can support it, pop over to ethnos.ca slash translate, subscribe to our podcast, follow us on Instagram at Compel Podcast. Thanks for joining us.